Right, well, praise the Lord. What a wonderful opportunity, privilege it is to worship with one another through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Trust that you have been refreshed this morning as I have been. So we've been directed to turn our attention, our gaze to God through the music. Thank you for your prayers for my travels this last week, I made it safely, obviously, to Iowa and back. Uh, it was a little exciting on the way there. Flight out of here was delayed an hour, which wiped away my break in the Atlanta airport. And uh, if you've ever flown through the Atlanta airport, you know it is a city unto itself, quite literally. Um, and I flew in one concourse, had to go to the other concourse. And when I was walking off my plane, I was supposed to be getting on the next plane at that time, and so uh, Lord worked it out, we got there, but, uh, but it was exciting, um, in not the good way, but, uh, but thank you for that, and uh, appreciated the time uh, in Iowa at Faith Baptist Bible College out there in Ankeny, Iowa, just north of Des Moines, um, it, uh, it, it's a unique place, I'd never been there before, you know, they call those middle states sometimes the flyover states. Um, probably for a number of reasons, but it was first time to, to visit there. It is a unique place. Um, obviously, most of you know I lived for many years, really my growing up and adult years in the southeast and then came up here about uh, eight plus years ago. And uh, so the Midwest and the heart of the Midwest, Iowa, um, is, is something. The, most of the evening sports cast is dedicated to wrestling. High school and college wrestling. I mean, they are serious about it in, in Iowa. Um, the morning, there is a whole segment de designated to pig prices and what pig futures are doing. Um, it was educational. Um, and certainly for the people living out there, it was pertinent information. Uh, just down from the college is a massive massive John Deere manufacturing facility. If there was one combine sitting out there, there were 150. Uh, it, was, it was a sight to drive by every morning on the way to the, to the campus. That was one end of it. The other end of it looked like it was uh, tractors and grain bins and things like that, and they're just lined up as far as the eye could see. Um, but, uh, but it's beautiful, beautiful country and, and dear people. Uh, it was, as the conference is called, refresh, uh, and it was spiritually refreshing. Um, those of you who travel for business, just like, you know, as pastors, we go to conference, you go to conferences. Conferences are not refreshing physically, all right? You get up early, you stay up late, it's packed full, but uh, the preaching was, was wonderful and encouraging. I did get to see some old friends that then reconnect with them I uh, hadn't seen in a, in a long, long while. Um, but I will also say this, that traveling uh, also makes you uh, appreciate home and worshiping with your brothers and sisters in Christ at home uh, a lot more. And so very thankful for that. We, we enjoy the blessing we have here of the music and, and one another. And, and I think uh, over time it, it just becomes that's just what it is. And that must be how it's like everywhere. That's not the case. Um, and so it's good to be home and good to be back here. But thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the opportunity to go. It was certainly a, uh, a worthy uh, endeavor and a worthy investment. So uh, I appreciate it. 
Today is the second of a four-week uh, mini-series, as it were, uh, nested kind of within our study of Romans. Uh, we started last week, the Christian and the family, the family of God in particular. This morning, we're going to look in verses 14 through 16, and the expectation of how the Christian is to interact, I think, with the community uh, at large. P Paul here is kind of, there, it's almost as you read through, and we're going to work through these passages over the next, uh, now the next today and two more weeks, concentric circles. They keep widening. He really kind of focuses in, I think, in the very beginning at how we, we relate to brothers and sisters in Christ. This one gets a little wider, including some of that, but then also reaching into the community and then to their enemies and then even ultimately to the government and how we relate to that. And so um, Paul here is really bringing to very practical levels how we put our faith on display, how we live out our faith. And so as we look at this this morning, I, I hope you'll take your Bibles and turn to Romans 12 because we're going to just work right through this passage and see what the exhortations are. Beginning in verse 14, we read, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Paul here is giving us a series of exhortations. Can we pause for just a moment and ask God to help us to receive them? As we've already talked about this morning, to be teachable, to be receptive to what God has for us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. It's an awesome thought to think that nearly 2,000 years ago, the apostle sat in Corinth and wrote these words on parchment, dictated them and had them written down. The Holy Spirit moved in his heart. He sent this letter of exhortation to a group of believers in the capital of the empire, in Rome. And here we sit this morning with the same words before us, coming to us and to our hearts with the same power, the same directness. Lord, may... May we desire to glean from them the truths that you intended. We thank you for the truth and the power of the gospel that not only changes lives, but it changed our life, changed my life, sets us on a new course, gives us a new purpose for how to live, why to live. So, Father, help us this morning as we seek to take these truths, apply them to our lives, so we know better how we are to relate with those in our community, our neighbors, our coworkers. Father, work in us, open our eyes, help us to see you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Paul gave ten commands 
for our relationship with other believers. And we looked at that last week, walked through those. And then he shares several admonitions regarding how to deal with unbelievers, depending on how you want to count them. There's, you know, five or six or seven. We're going to kind of condense it down ultimately into five words. But, but there is a list of admonitions here that he gives on how we're supposed to deal with other people. In your life, you will likely deal mostly with unbelievers. That's how most of your life will be spent when you really think about it. We relish the time to come here together as brothers and sisters in Christ and on a Sunday morning and fellowship and worship with one another and talk about our week and share prayer requests and, and do those things. And I hope you do that. I, uh, one of the great, great blessings of coming together like this is the blessing of fellowship. Um, our primary purpose is worship and the study of God's word, but, but what a blessing it is to fellowship. I, I, I hope that you'll really actually make the effort to show up a little early, stay a little bit longer, to enjoy that blessing we have through Christ. That opportunity to catch up with brothers and sisters in Christ and how was your week or what's coming up? How can I pray with you? What, what need do you have coming up maybe this week? Because we will leave here and you will go into your various communities, your neighborhoods, your places of, of business, work, education, whatever the case may be. And you're going to be surrounded for the next five, six days with unbelievers. And that is where God has placed you. That's why at the end of every service we say what? Have a great week of ministry. Because you're going out to minister. You're going out to share the gospel. You're going out there to live your faith. Aren't we glad? Aren't we thankful that God's word gives us clear directives on how to do that? Not just, good luck, <laughs> see you next week. No, there are things I think right here in front of us that, that I believe as God has brought us to this passage at this time, I will not be surprised at all if somebody comes back next Sunday and says, Pastor, you won't believe it, but you know this conversation happened in the, in the workplace this week or in my neighborhood this week, and boom, there it is. There it is. That's how the Holy Spirit works, because he knows what we need when we need it. question how are Christians to interact with unbelievers and for what purpose it's a real challenge for many and this passage gives us direction so I would suggest this morning that we consider really five words as we work through these exhortations the five words are bless rejoice weep harmony and humility won't be far, uh, hard to follow along as we work through the passage because this is God's expectation of us. Notice in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now, for a believer, that ought to be familiar language. We spent time. Days gone by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I think I preached 22, 23 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. 
The exhortation of Jesus is recorded in Matthew 5, it's recorded in Luke 6. And Paul here is really paraphrasing what Jesus had taught as the people had gathered on that mountainside. I I have to believe, I fully believe, that Paul, as a scholar, as a Jewish scholar as he was, and I mean, you can look at the history, he he had to have been a young man when Jesus was ministering, was put on trial in that kangaroo court in Jerusalem, and he had to have been aware. But then, whatever the case may be, he, he goes on, he, we know his story, he's miraculously saved. God does the redemptive work in his heart. He goes off, spends time out in the, the desert, and God's teaching him, the Holy Spirit's teaching him. He comes back, and of course, Christians are like, oh, no, <laughs> And a man named Barnabas comes alongside of him, disciples him. A lot of times we don't think that Paul needed to be discipled. He did. And he was by Barnabas. And Barnabas comes alongside and he vouches for him to the church. And I have to believe in those years that he's being taught. Because, of course, at that time, what are they teaching? They're teaching what they had heard from Jesus. There's no way, it's inconceivable to think that the Sermon on the Mount was not included in that discipleship process. And so when when Paul, when the Holy Spirit impacts his heart and says, write this down, I got to think he's like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's repeating what Jesus said. And what we see in these verses in chapter 12 are... Are, are, are two levels of, of difficulty that we face in the world. And verse 14, there's this word persecute, and, and it really connotes a, a lesser level of difficulty than what you may think. In verse 17, he kind of gets ratcheted up a little bit. There are going to be people that you encounter who do not understand the way that you live. They, they, don't, they don't get it. Why you make decisions, how you, you know, come to conclusions based on a whole different set of expectations. They may give you a hard time. And the answer to what should I do and how should I respond is to bless them. When they come to you and they're like, come on, you know, get get with the program. We, We can't do it that way. And you know in your heart, no, as a believer, I've got to do it that way. How do we respond? How do we react? This phrase, to bless them, to bless and curse not, it literally means to be thankful for them. To be thankful for the opportunity in that moment, with that response coming at you, to be thankful for the opportunity to demonstrate a Christ-like response. Luke's record in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28, he records there the teaching of Jesus on this subject, and he tells us that that Jesus directed his followers to pray for the good of these people. We are to bless them by praying that God would do a work in their hearts. You can't change their attitude. You can't change their reactions. You can't change their responses. But God can. Every situation doesn't need and doesn't demand the entering into of a debate or an argument. 
Sometimes we just need to pray that God will do a work in their heart. And your argument, your offense, may not be real helpful. You say, but pastor, I've got to stand for the truth. I'm not telling you don't stand for the truth. I'm just saying, how are you going to package it? The reason for the exhortation is because eternity is at stake. There's that old saying, your life may be the only Bible some people read. Certainly may be the first one, as it were. Do people see in your life the godly characteristics of benevolence, mercy, forgiveness, Grace, patience, bless them, pray for them, be thankful for the opportunity that they are presenting to you in that moment in your life to live out the amazing works of grace that God's done in your heart. The second word to note, is rejoice. Rejoice. We are to be salt and light. What better way than through our responses to the joys or the trials of our neighbors? We see those packaged together here in this verse. The first one is to rejoice. Our response to their joys How do you respond when they are blessed? When the people who who are seemingly living without a care in the world, they have everything going their way. The word here, the Greek word, is defined to be full of cheer, calmly, happy, well off. Now, can I offer this? For us to do what it's telling us to do here. The, the first one, to bless those who, who persecute you, bless them and curse not, that kind of gives the indication they're coming to us, right? They're, they're making the initiative to criticize or to kind of challenge whatever the case may be. This one, I think, puts the perspective the other way. How are we going to rejoice with them or weep with them if we are not trying to be involved with them? Just a thought. I think for far too long we've built the walls, dug the moat. (laughs) It's why we walk in the Spirit every day. Because we're called to go out and to be salt and to be light to to share the gospel, to live the gospel, that means we're going to have to be with them. There's going to have to be a relationship. And so he says rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, this really isn't all that hard. I mean, there are 
all kinds of things that might come into their lives as you're having a conversation in the, the break room or, you know, standing out in the front yard or whatever the case may be. And, and they share, you know, about a career advancement or a family blessing or, you know, something like that. I mean, their kids playing, you know, sports and, and they won the big game on Friday night. Rejoice with them. Why? Because it's what God's word tells us to do. It, it gives them that opportunity to, to interact, to demonstrate the fact, you know what? God rejoices. When his children do what he commands them to do, he's rejoicing. He's happy about that. He smiles, the Bible says. Of the two exhortations in this verse, this one might be the hardest. Because our sinful natures, we like to rejoice when good things happen to us. But maybe not so much when good things happen to people that we're looking at and we're going, how come they have it so easy? Because that's how, that's how it is, right? I mean, they always have it so easy. You have no clue what's going on in their life. You have no clue the challenges they might be facing. But when someone is experiencing a heartache, he or she needs our help. But in, in times of blessing, maybe they don't. I mean, you know, maybe when, when we hear about, you know, a, an illness or, or something like that, I mean, we, you know, we can run to the grocery store and get something for them, some flowers or make a meal and take it over to them. And, oh, good, an opportunity to help, an opportunity to reach out. Super. We'll get there. But what about when things are going so well for them? Rejoice with them. Somebody said it is, instinct, it is distinctively Christian to rejoice in the blessings, honor, and welfare of others. Especially fellow believers. We find that easy to do here. I, sh I should hope so. Making an assumption. But I believe this goes even beyond that. I believe we can rejoice with unbelievers as well. God makes it to rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives the harvest to them, you know, and, and blessings materially to them just like he, he does to us. It gives us an opportunity as we rejoice with them to maybe even insert into the conversation, I, what a blessing that God did that for you. Now they may just go, when you say that, that's okay. But you're living out your faith. They may not see it that way. They may just see it as good fortune or I always deserved that. I uh, kind of owed that. You know, the world, the universe kind of owed that one to me. Well, obviously we know that's not the case. God is at work. Rejoice with them. We continue through the list and we note that we're also to weep with them. And this is far more than being sympathetic it really goes, I think, to empathy. When you hear of the misfortune or the hurt or the difficulty of a, of a co-worker or a neighbor, what is your first response? Hopefully it is not, well, they had that coming. Don't laugh. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, come on. We're all human, and if we don't guard our hearts, we can sometimes do that, right? Well, mm-hmm. Saw that coming. Maybe we did. 
But Paul here tells them, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. means to sob, to wail aloud, to bewail. I mean, the, the Far East way of mourning and weeping is, is renowned. I mean, it's a thing. Those of you who have been to Jerusalem, there is the, the wailing wall, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing. That's what this word is talking about. As we do this, understand, as we, as we weep with them, we, we're really, again, God weeps with us. We are thankful for that. The psalmist talks about that in Psalm 56. I mean, it, that is a profound testimony to God's heart of his sympathy towards his children. When the writer implores the Lord, put my tears in your bottle. The Lord stores up the tears of his children in a bottle like a treasure. And if we're to be like our father and his son, we too need to enter into the sorrows of others. And in weeping with those who weep, are we not modeling before them the compassion that God shows to us? Think about the compassion, the tenderness, the sensitivity that God shows to us. Moses writes to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4. Again, the new, uh, that new generation that's getting ready to go into the promised land, right? The end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And now this whole new generation is getting ready to go in the promised land. And Moses, one of the, one of the last things he says to them... He reminds them, for the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. We need that. And Jonah, you know the story of Jonah. God sent him, said, go to Nineveh. Preach, we would say preach the gospel. It was a, it was a message of judgment with the, with the intention to bring them to repentance. And Jonah's like, I'm not doing that. We know the story. You know, he goes the opposite way, and God has, you know, special delivery Uber to pick him up, get him back where he needs to be, eject him out on dry ground. We clean that story up way more than we should. <laughs> Jonah says at the end of, of, of that whole thing in chapter 4, and this is one of the great struggles that, that he had with the whole situation about why he didn't want to go preach to them. Because he said, you are a gracious and compassionate God. And I knew that if I preached judgment and they repented, then you would be compassionate. Is that why we don't weep with those who weep? Because we've got a little bit of too much Jonah in us? Lamentations 3, verse 22, we're reminded that his compassions never fail. In the New Testament, in James chapter 5, verse 11, James writes to the 
New Testament believers, he said, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As we weep with those who weep, are we not demonstrating, living out the compassions and the mercies of God to us? The compassions and the mercy shown by Christ himself during his ministry gives us the perfect example to follow. In Matthew 9, it's, it's really that outline. I've preached that message before about the perfect ministry. He's going about teaching, preaching, and healing, right? It's the perfect minister, the perfect ministry in, in the villages. He goes and his heart's moved with compassion. And yes, he teaches and he preaches, but he also ministers to their physical need. Don't you think that kind of gave him more opportunities to teach and preach? It wasn't, well, I'm just there to heal and to meet their physical needs. No, he's going to teach, he's going to preach, but don't you think that opened the door a little bit? Made it a little bit more receptive? In, in the crowd in Matthew 14, Jesus saw a multitude, and the Bible says, and he was moved with compassion. And even to a single person, in Mark 1, the leper, the Bible says, when he saw the leper, when the leper approached him, he was moved with compassion. It's much easy for us, easier for us to weep in the broadest sense, right? We see, we hear of a real tragedy that happens and our heart breaks and we're like, all oh, those poor people. That's fine. That needs to happen. But I love how scripture just brings it down and puts a really fine point on it. What about that one person in your office, in your neighborhood, that one person and God intersects your life with theirs so that you can weep with them. And in doing so, demonstrate the compassion and care of God. Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Do you see the progression in the passage? We often think and talk about how we should live in harmony with our neighbors, right? But how can we, if we've skipped the first three steps, as it were, if we're not willing to bless, bless them and rejoice with them and, and weep with them, how are we supposed to live in harmony with them? But if we put in the practice the acts of blessing and rejoicing and weeping, we're well on the way to being able to do that. We try to like to just skip over it because... Well, that's like work. I mean, that like takes time and emotional energy and being plugged in. Live in harmony with one another. Notice. The tie-in to verse 18 as well, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And we'll, we'll get to that next week. But, you know, Christians really shouldn't be seen as primarily a, a disagreeable lot. 
There are some who kind of wear that as a badge of honor, I'm afraid. Again, I'm not saying that we, we somehow hide our faith, we somehow, you know, compromise our beliefs and the truth. Absolutely not. But just because we cling to truth doesn't mean we can't do what God has exhorted us to do. Did Jesus ever compromise the truth? No. Did he live all of these out? Yes. Jesus went to great lengths to live in harmony with those around. Now, again, ultimately the truth, it, it, it creates some conflict. But we leave that to God. But Christians shouldn't be a disagreeable lot. Even though we look at things differently than an unbeliever and we respond differently, hopefully, to life circumstances, does that mean that we can't live in harmony with them? We need to enter into each other's circumstances in order to see how you would yourself feel. This word harmony is an interesting word. The Greek word is, is one that's not translated, it's transliterated, because the Greek word is literally harmonia. So they just turned it into English and took off the IA and slapped on a Y. It literally means to fit together. Now, you know, I could ask Pastor Josh to come up here and he could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about harmony. <laughs> and we, every time we sing together, we get a demonstration of it. I mean, it's a neat thing when, you know, you come to one of the family recitals, like I, I was able to take the time to do that this past Christmas. And, I mean, there's like 150-plus people in here, and, you know, everybody from the little five-year-olds to upper teenagers and are playing. And there are plenty of them that come up here, and they sit up here at the piano, and their feet are dangling, you know, in the air because they can't touch the floor. And they play their, their piece, and it's a finger at a time. And, and it's cute, and it's beautiful, and I'm, I'm thrilled that they're doing that. But we want them to progress, Right? And we want them to add that left hand in. And then all of a sudden, we, we have chords. And, and what do we, we have musical, you know, music with harmony. And it's gorgeous. Because, because every instrument, every part is, is being played. And it comes together in sync. And God is telling us, live in harmony. I get the fact that it, it kind of, we struggle with it because our sinful nature, we have this tendency to extremes. <laughs> That's why we're exhorted to walk in the Spirit. Just like if you don't walk in the Spirit, you're prone to sin. If you don't walk in the Spirit, you're going to have a really hard time blessing, rejoicing, weeping, and living in harmony. Rightly. To the honor of God, to the glory of God, to the furtherance of the gospel. But it can be done, and that's God's expectation for us. How do we live in obedience to this exhortation? Okay, okay. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna try to bless, I'm gonna try to rejoice, I'm gonna try to be weep, I'm gonna try to live in harmony. How? Humility. 
humility. Notice what he says here at the very end. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In a word, live in humility. Even though Paul doesn't expand on the thought in this moment, doesn't mean that we are without further instruction from God's word. But this should suffice for us. Yes, there are more, there's, there's more on this subject, plenty more on this subject in the pages of Scripture. But, I mean, this right here. I mean, most of this is in the positive, but this right here, he says in the note, don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. He's calling us to humility. I love how he says there, because you know, the Holy Spirit could have said, just tell them, don't be haughty. They know what that means. But he knows the frailty of our spirits, right? He says, we should probably give them an example. And he says, associate with the lowly. Because our default position is, oh, well, what does he mean? Like, you know, play dumb. Associate with the lowly. Associate with those people that, that quite frankly, just living naturally, we're just not real inclined to spend time with them. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to be like that. Well, you're not either. But we all do it because we're sinners. Associate, literally saying, associate with people below your social status. Jesus didn't preach about this and speak about it. He lived it. Luke 14, he talked to them, gave very clear instruction about who to invite to dinner. James and Peter gave instruction on this. Of course, Jesus provided, again, the greatest example. Paul captures that in Philippians 2. He who is equal with God thought it not robbery, didn't hold on to it, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Humility. The half-brother of Jesus writes in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we don't have time to read through all of that, but but there are in that passage severe warnings against prejudice. I mean, he expounds on this to the early Christians because it was a real deal, and it still is. Peter learned this lesson when he was sent to share the gospel with Cornelius, wasn't he, in Acts chapter 10? Remember that whole thing? I mean, Peter is so much. We, Peter's like us, we're like him. I, I could just go on and on about that whole passage because it's so ironic. Where he is physically when he gets the vision, he's lodging with Simon the Tanner. No self-respecting Jew is going to stay there. There are dead bodies everywhere. And he gets that vision of the sheet coming down and, you know, the spirit says, rise and eat. And he says, oh, no, it's unclean. Where are you? 
That whole thing was about preparing him to go give the gospel to Cornelius. And God works in his heart, teaches him this lesson. And he says in Acts 10.34, I now understand that God doesn't show partiality. Never be wise in your own sight. Who in the world do we think we are? We don't have it all figured out. Every believer, every one of us, should be in every moment of every day humbly submissive to the will of God found in the word of God. That's where it starts. Are we willing to come to a passage like this and and be humbly submissive to the will of God in the word of God? And he says, bless and rejoice and weep and live in harmony and have and demonstrate humility. These are the themes repeated to the churches in the first century over and over again. This is just the letter to Romans. Paul, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.12 to put on them, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. This isn't an exhaustive list in Romans 12. It can obviously be expanded on. It's a pretty good place to start though. We talk often about wanting to reach our community. We rightly want to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. But are we living so that they are drawn to Him? Are we interacting with them so that they are drawn to Him? Are we putting our faith on display? Are we putting our faith on display? Literally, gospel living. Or a living gospel. That's what he's calling us to do. I mean, look back through these these verses from from verse 9 all the way down to where we ended up here this morning in verse 16. How are you going to do any of that rightly without the gospel work done in your heart? That's not normal. That's not instinctive to us as humans. The gospel makes it possible. The reality is that we have to earn the right to have the opportunity to share the gospel. Remember, some of you remember who have been here for some years Remember the Neighbor Night initiative from years ago? We talked about redeeming that time on Sunday nights. Maybe we ought to recapture some of that. You know, I know the, the winters are kind of long, but we're being reminded, you know, spring's coming. It is. Lord Terry, spring will come. But there are great opportunities to reach out to neighbors, to live this before them. There are many 
here who could probably tell a story maybe with a little frustration. Yeah, I just wish that I could reach him. Have you done any of this with them? It's a good place to start. Paul has clearly declared he's not ashamed of the gospel, right? I mean, that was all, that was, we lived in that last year. He's exhorted us to follow his example. The theology, the doctrine has been clearly explained through 11 chapters of Romans. And here we are in these final chapters being called upon to live out our faith, to put it on display, not to be prideful, but so that an unbelieving world will see that it makes a difference. It makes a difference. This is gospel living. This is gospel living. To bless, to rejoice, to weep, to be humble, to live in harmony. As Jesus would say, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how direct, how pointed your word is to us. Father, I feel like this morning that we have experienced the truth that that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it pierces to the dividing and, and, and of soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow. Father, may we not run from that. But Father, may we, may we stay patiently under the skillful hand of the Holy Spirit as he cuts into us reveals the areas that are weak, that need to be strengthened, the sin that needs to be repented, the grace and the gospel that needs to be lived. Well, Father, help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Help us even this week. Give us, we, I pray that, Lord, this week you would give us opportunities to live what we have just looked at. Give us the grace. Help us to live it for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.